0: Praise God. You can be seated. Man, that's powerful. For those of you who were not here, real quick review. I started sharing last night from Psalm seventy-eight forty-one about how the Israelites limited God. Because in their hearts, they had doubt and they refused to do what God told them to do. And so God's perfect plan for their life did not come to pass. Fate does not just make your life work a certain way. God does not control what's in your life. He has a plan for you, Isaiah chapter, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. He has a plan for you that's thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. But you have to cooperate with Him. And the sad fact is most of us are limiting God. God spoke this to me January the 31st, 2002. And, uh, I mean, it was a revelation from God. And since then, our ministry and personal lives have just completely transformed. And I don't believe that I'm an exception or special because I'm in the ministry. I think God will do it for any person. Every one of you, God has more for you than what you're experiencing. But we limit Him. So last night I was focusing on that one of the ways we limit Him is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says that we compare ourselves among ourselves and measure ourselves by ourselves, and that's not wise. So one of the ways that we limit God is because we don't go to the Word and let God inspire us and motivate us for His best. We look around and we see that everybody's struggling. Everybody's in recession. So we expect to have a recession instead of operating under the scripture that says, that God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, not the U.S. economy. But people don't let the word dominate them. They compare themselves and say, well, everybody's struggling. So they limit God. My personal testimony, and there's many people in this room tonight who have stood and believed God and you have prospered more than you've ever prospered during a time of recession. You do not have to suffer like that, but most people limit God to what everybody else is receiving. They limit God in the area of healing. Everybody starts getting older and you start having pains and we embrace it. And i used deuteronomy 32 i believe it is verse 7 last night where moses was 120 years old and his natural eyesight wasn't dim or his or his eyesight wasn't dim or his natural force abated you do not have to get old well let me rephrase that you do have to get old if you keep living here but you don't have to get decrepit you don't have to have all of these pains and problems you are going to keep getting older if you aren't getting any older (laughs) Bye-bye. But you don't have to get weak and sick and decrepit and stuff like that. But see, we limit what God can do because we say, well, this is what's always happened in my family. There's this problem that runs in my genes. Those things limit God. And so last night I was really focusing on that we limit God by just comparing ourselves with other people. We listen to the same junk that the world listens to and then we want different results. It doesn't work that way. And this morning I was talking about that another thing that limits God is our lifestyle. Mark chapter 4 verse 19 gives a teaching on the parable of the sower sowing the seed. And it says that the word is sown, but the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and it chokes the word. And one reason that we limit God and don't experience God's best in our life is because our lifestyle is not conducive to it. God speaks in a still, small voice. You know, Charlie and Jill sang that song tonight, Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. And you've got to be still. God speaks in a still, small voice. 2 Kings chapter 19, Elijah had an earthquake and had a fire, and had a mighty wind that was so strong it broke the rocks and these dramatic, spectacular things. But God wasn't in any of those things. God spoke in just a still, small voice. That is the number one way He speaks to us. And if your life is so busy that you're multitasking and you're doing multiple things, people nearly brag about that today. That is a recipe for a hardened heart. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, this one thing I do. If you want to be a success, if you want to excel, do one thing. You multitask and that means you'll do multiple things poorly. (laughs) That usually goes over about like that. There's many of you that are really proud about how you can squeeze so much in, but that you cannot find that in the word of God. You will find that the Lord talks about, be still. Jesus separated his disciples, said, come apart, rest a while. Jesus, he, he went over into the desert to rest and the crowds followed him around the lake and they wouldn't let him rest. So you know what he did? He stayed up all night long praying. Having his batteries, spiritual batteries, recharged, being in communion with his Father was more important to him than sleep. He separated himself. He prayed all night long. And I guarantee you, if you think that you're better than Jesus, you got a problem. If Jesus needed to get separate, if Jesus needed to come apart and rest a while and told his disciples to rest a while, you need to do it. And this is considered inactivity, And uh, you aren't really motivated, but you need a lifestyle to where you are sensitive and listening to God. And we talked about all that, how that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, choke the word. And I could spend a lot more time talking about that. Tonight, what I want to do, I'm going to start talking about how fear limits God. And there's lots of different fears. I'm going to start this tonight, and I'll continue it tomorrow. And my plans are, if I can talk fast, I could spend, I could spend probably a week teaching on different fears. This is one of the things that was got when God spoke to me, that I was limiting God because of fear. And it wasn't because I was a bad person. It wasn't because I wasn't seeking God. But you know what? You can, you can let fear come in. It's just, I think, normal. It's natural for a fallen human being to have fear about certain things, but you can overcome it. Perfect love cast out fear. First John chapter four, verse 19. You don't have to live there. It is a fact of life, but you can overcome it. And I could spend a lot of time talking about these fears, but I'm going to try and cover a bunch of these different fears tonight and tomorrow morning. And then tomorrow night, I want to talk about how important your imagination is to taking the limits off of God. And this is something that not very many people have thought of. They don't understand how that you have an image on the inside that is like a governor that limits what you can do. Matter of fact, I mentioned this last night, but when the Lord first spoke to me 10 years ago, I called my staff together on February the 11th, 2002, and I told them about the experience and what God had said. And I said, I've got an image on the inside of me and what I can do and what I'm capable of and incapable of that is limiting God. And I said, I don't know how long it takes to change this image, whether it's a week, a month, a year, or whatever, but I said, I am gonna change this image. I will see myself doing what God told me to do. And that has been a vital, important part of what God has done in my life. And you may not recognize it, but every one of you have an image on the inside of what you can do, what God can do through you, what you're capable of, and it operates like a limiter, like a governor on a car that, you know, you hit a certain speed and that governor cuts in and it just cuts off the power and you coast until you go back down to the right speed. You have an image on the inside that is a ceiling, a limit on what God can do in your life. And you've got to learn how to change that as a man thinks in his heart, So is He. You see yourself a certain way and you've got to change that image. You cannot ever see anything happen on the outside that you haven't already seen happen on the inside. That's big. That is a huge statement right there. And there are some of you that are praying for something to happen that's big. Your marriage to be restored, your body to be healed, your Finances to be prospered, you to pray for people, or you to be an influence, or you to make a difference, you're praying for this, but you can't see it. And it's frustrating. Really, you don't even have to pray for things. If you would sit there and meditate and let the word of God paint a picture on the inside of you, as you think in your heart, and I'm going to show you that that's talking about your imagination. It just comes to pass. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your life is today the way you have seen it being. And some of you don't like that at all. You get very upset and say, man, you're saying that it's my fault. Yep, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) And many of you take great comfort in blaming other people. No, it's this that happened. This made me this way. And you don't understand. I don't have the education. You don't understand the color of my skin. You don't understand my background. And I was abused when I was a child or what, you know, we've got a million and one reasons, but it's not any of these external things that's controlling your life. It's the way you think in your heart that is making your life go the direction that it's going. Don't shout me down for preaching good. <laughs> so anyway, that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow night. It's really, really important. Let me just start talking about some of the fears and how fears limit what God can do in your life. And I don't know. You, I could talk about twice as many, three times as many fears. But, you know, I've only got two messages. I'm trying to cram as much into this as I possibly can so that it will benefit every person. So I can't claim that these are in any certain order or anything, but one fear that hinders people is a fear of change. You're afraid to change. People are resistant to change. If you don't think so, you ought to pastor a church. (laughs) Ask somebody that's a pastor. I see a number of pastors out here. Amen. I guarantee you to get people to change is nearly impossible. People just it's like they dig their heels in and they resist change. And it's strong in our culture. It's even stronger in some others. Like, for instance, over in the UK, Ashley and Carly are here. They uh, lived in the UK until just four or five years ago. And they can tell you the tradition over there is big. I mean big. I've asked them before, why do you do this? Well, it's the way it's been done for a thousand years. <laughs> Amen. We don't have that, we aren't as ground into tradition as some cultures, but it's still super strong. People resist change. They really do. They don't like it. And I could spend more time on this, but in a nutshell, one of the reasons people resist change, and uh, grab hold of your seat on this. I'm saying this because I love you. But you know it's because we're lazy it takes effort to change now again I have that book entitled effortless change and you can change effortlessly but even there's effort in that the effort is you have to get into the word and renew your mind and then as you think that's the way you'll become and people don't they resist change because it just takes effort They want to sit down on their couch and watch something and just be mesmerized. You know what the word mesmerized means? Mesmer was the name of a man. He was one of the pioneers in hypnosis. And so he would hypnotize people, and they would come under his control, and they started using this word you're mesmerized. You've been hypnotized. And that's what that word, that's the root of that word. And when we say that you're just mesmerized by something, it means you have just given yourself over and you're controlled by that. And this is pretty descriptive of the way a lot of people are with TV and stuff. They just turn it on and sit there and you forget everything else and you just come under the control of that. You know what that is? It's lazy. It's lazy and i'm not trying to be critical on anybody one of the reasons i resisted change in our ministry was because you know what jamie and i have been in ministry now for 44 years we've been through a lot of hard things i'm not saying that to get you to pity me or anything i'm just saying it's been tough i was sitting around with a group of preachers one time talking about some things and they had committed adultery on their wives they had Lied, They'd stolen. They'd gone to jail. They'd done all of these things. And then they got to talking about the hardships we'd been through. And I told them about some of our finances and how Jamie was eight months pregnant. And we hadn't eaten in two weeks. And we were struggling. And those people looked at me and said, my God, what you did to Jamie is worse than I ever did to my wife. <laughs> We've been through a lot of hardship. I think that's the only woman on the planet that would have stuck with me through what we've been through. We've been through, we've made, um, oh, who's the guy that was the rest of the story? Paul Harvey's broadcast, saying this is one of the worst things he'd ever heard in his life. We've made international broadcast hardships and things that have happened to us. We've, We've had a lot of rough times, and then... We went on television and when I started on television, the Lord spoke to me on June, July the 26th, two, uh, 1999, in a dream. It's a long story, but he spoke to me and he says, you're just now starting your ministry. I'd been in ministry 31 years. And he says, you're just now starting your ministry. If something would have happened and you would have died, you would have missed what I called you to do. And that was discouraging and encouraging all at the same time because we had seen some great things happen. And if I was just starting, that means it was going to be better. But man, 31 years and it was all schooling. You know what? You are going to go to school. You either go to something like Karis Bible College and learn through my hard knocks or you go through the school of hard knocks yourself. You are going to go to school. But you can shorten the time, amen, if you would let some of these other people make an impact on your life. So anyway, he told me I was just starting my ministry. And when we started on television January the 3rd of 2000, I mean, it's like we just hit a place where things were working nearly effortlessly. Before that, it was a struggle. We were on the verge of disaster. It looked like we could die at any moment. And all of a sudden, things just begin to work. People begin to respond. There was an anointing that wasn't present before, and things begin to work. And so for two years, our ministry had doubled. And you know what? I was enjoying it. There was light at the end of the tunnel, and it wasn't a train. It was (laughs) like, we were going to make it. We're going to survive. We're actually seeing people's lives changed. It's working. And you know what? I was comfortable. And uh, I was resistant to change because it was easy, relatively easy. And I didn't want to start stretching myself again. Let's just enjoy being where we are. Anybody relate to what I'm saying? Did you know you can get comfortable and you can get where instead of you stretching yourself, let's just take it easy. I see a lot of older people, you know, that they have this goal of they've worked hard, they've raised their family, they've done all of these things, and now they're going to retire, they're going to enjoy their grandkids, and they're just going to travel and have a good time. And there's nothing wrong with you enjoying the fruits of your labor. I'm not saying that, but you know what? I guarantee you, I've seen a lot of people, my mother, I've seen a lot of people that the moment you retire and start doing nothing, your health goes down. God did not make anybody to coast. You will last longer. You will be happier. You'll be more productive. Everything in your life will work better if you still have a purpose. And do you know the most fruitful people that come into our Bible college are retired people? Because they come in and they're just there thinking, well... I'm just going to learn the Word of God. I've got—I don't have the same pressures, the same demands that I've had, and they come. And man, their life get changed. And we've got retired people all over the world that are going out and putting their life on the line, going to third world countries, facing sickness and disease in these cultures and the persecution, and adapting to the hardships, and they're loving it. I guarantee you, God didn't make anybody to just sit and coast. Man, we're in a hostile environment. This is not our real home. You can you can rest all throughout eternity. You don't need to rust out. You need to wear out. Burn out. Serving God. But people are resistant to change because you know what? They've kind of got their nest made and it's all comfortable and they just... They resist change. They limit God because they've got, they, it's nice. They're lazy. They're comfortable. You know what? That's not a good place to be. I've just given up on ever getting to a place where I coast. Right now, we are believing God for bigger things than I've ever believed for. And I already know. I don't know what they are. But the Lord's shown me that this is not the last step. That there will be more. We'll go to a ministry someplace, a church, and they'll go to preaching on believing God, increase your vision. And Jamie will put her hand on my leg. Like you're believing big enough. Just calm down. Amen. (laughs) Because, uh, I'm never going to quit dreaming until I go to be with the Lord. I'm going to be working on something. I even talked to this Satanist high priest on an airplane one time, and he was talking about how he didn't work. He got his food out of the dumpsters. And He was just, you know, this capitalistic society needs 10% unemployment to make it work. And he was, and I started talking to him about even Adam and Eve, God gave them a job to do, to dress and to keep the garden and to work people who were living in paradise. He gave them a purpose, a goal, something to do. You need a purpose. My brother just retired involuntarily. He uh, already has retired from being a teacher, and then he had a job with the Texas prison system going around, and he was controlling all of the vocational mechanics courses in the prisons in Texas, and anyway, they downsized, and so they laid him off, so he just retired involuntarily the second time, and uh, for the last few months, he's about to climb the wall. Like, what am I going to do with my life? And... You know, he's not totally receptive to everything I share. So I couldn't talk to him like the way I'm talking to you. But I just was, I was so thankful that father, I've got a purpose that is going to keep me going until I draw my last breath. There's never going to be an end to what I'm doing. I'm believing that man, I'll leave preaching. I was with Oral Roberts just a couple of months before he died, and Oral Roberts was still preaching and meeting with people and talking to them and having people into his home and still taking the things that God put in his life and putting it in other people when he was 90-something years old. That's the way you need to go out. Amen? You need to have a purpose. So anyway, I could spend all night on this, but I'm just trying to say that this is one fear. People just fear being... Uh, uncomfortable being stretched it's good for you if you aren't living on the edge you're taking up too much space you ought to be living on the edge God may it's exciting You can ask Jamie. Jamie used to pray when she was a kid. She saw her mother and father just get up, go to work, come home, watch television, go to bed, get up, go to work, come home, watch television, go to bed. And she prayed, God, I pray that my life will never be boring. She got her prayer answered. It is not boring. Amen. It's anything but boring. It's all her fault. It's that woman that God gave me. But you know what? That's a great idea. Man, we got the life of God on the inside of us. Don't be content with just doing nothing and just surviving and getting by and watching television and doing stuff. There's more to it than that. Man, you need to have a purpose. You need to have something that drives you. So a fear of change and you just have become lazy, you need to get over it. Amen. You need to go to believe in God for something else. Another fear is a fear of the unknown. People just fear nearly instinctively things that they don't know. But you know, again, the, the answer for fear is 1 John four eighteen: Perfect love casts out fear. There is no fear in love. If you really have a dynamic relationship with God, you don't need to fear the unknown. You don't need to fear like starting over again. Some people, if I was to go to Bible college, man, what might God do? He might call me to go to Africa. And you're afraid of what God's going to ask you to do. If God calls you to go to Africa, you'll love it. You'll love it. It'll be awesome. You. If you had a really dynamic relationship with God, this fear of the unknown would be gone because you would know the one who holds the future and God is never going to do anything to hurt you. He's always going to do things to bless you. When I was in the Baptist church, we used to sing this song about wherever he leads, I'll go. And we used to have missionaries come up and talk about, yeah, I made a total commitment and God drugged me to Africa and I've been living in a grass hut and I've been persecuted. And they talk about all of the hardships and man, it just scared me like, oh man, if I make an absolute surrender to God, he's gonna do something terrible to me. That is not the way that it is. God's got to send somebody to Africa. But when he sends you, he will put the desire in and you will love it. Our guy Leland Shores that just died this last year. He went to Africa and he loved it. He fell in love with it. And he told everybody, he says, I will die in Africa. And he did. But he was happy. He loved it. He was a Ugandan. He was converted to it. When God calls you to do something, it'll be for your own good. I'm not saying that there won't be any sacrifices, but it'll be well worth it. Jamie and I have made sacrifices, but what God is doing in our lives and the satisfaction that we have is worth it. It's worth it. Any little thing we've given up is infinitely rewarded much, much more by all of the people's lives that are being changed and the things that are happening. I'm telling you, don't be afraid of the unknown. You need to quit limiting God by wondering about what He will do. His plans for you are plans for good and not for evil. And again, I could spend a lot more time on that. Let me also mention a fear of failure. This is a big deal. People limit God because they're afraid that if I stretch out, I'll fail. If I take a chance, I'll fail. And you know what? I believe that the biggest failure of all is the people who play it too safe because they're afraid of making a mistake. You know, you will make mistakes, it will happen. But God's not going to fall off His throne because you make a mistake. You don't do everything perfectly. You know, when we moved into our building that we're in right now, we moved from 14,600 square feet to 110,000. And it was a major deal. We did it debt free. It was awesome. I could spend a lot of time talking about that. But when we moved into there, I was trying to move in in August so that our school could start the first of the year. We didn't get in until November. And during the dedication service, I had one of my students come up and says, are you disappointed that you didn't make it in August? I said, no, I'm not disappointed. I said, man, I'm just thrilled that we're here at all. That's not the way I think. I was shooting for August, that's what I was believing for, but if, I'm, if I shoot for the stars and miss and hit the moon, that's still better than most people have done. That's the way I look at it. I've ne- I told him. I said, I've never done anything perfectly in my life. I said, but I had $3.2 million come in and we paid for this debt-free in 14 months. When we had had the biggest increase in our expenses that we had ever had, we doubled our television outreach so that we had added an additional five or $600,000 a month to our television bill. And during that time of unprecedented growth, I had an extra $3.2 million came, come in and I got in three months late. I'm sure if I'd have been perfect, we'd have made it in August. But you know what? We made it and now it's behind us and it worked. And- if you're afraid of doing something because you may not do it perfectly, you'll never get anything done. Man, you need to go for it. God's bigger than your mistakes. I had a friend contact me and he's starting a Bible school. And so he wanted me to give him some instruction about how do you start a Bible school. And he had, he, there was four pages of questions. And they were good questions. And at the end, they brought it to me because there were things that only I could answer. And one of them was, if you were doing it all over again, what would you do differently? And I thought about it. And you know what? I wouldn't have done anything differently. Our Bible school has transformed a lot. It's much, much better than it was. But at the time... I gave it everything I had. I didn't have very many resources, so I couldn't do things the way that we do them now. I didn't have the same personnel. I, there were so many limitations that if I would have just sat down and said, I'm going to do this Bible college perfectly, and it's going to be the best Bible college that there ever was, and if, I, if that's the only way I would have done it, we'd have never had a Bible college. You know what, we had to start with what we had and yes, we made mistakes and yes, we've learned and now it's much better than it was. But you know what, there are people who you're just such a perfectionist, you're gonna do everything perfectly, you're afraid you're gonna make a mistake so you aren't doing anything and that's the biggest mistake of all. It's like a little kid learning to ride a bicycle. You will fall, you may cut your knee but you know what, you get back up and you go again and you learn. I'm telling you brothers and sisters there's a fear of people making a mistake. And it really comes down again to the fact that you aren't secure in Jesus. You're afraid that your identity, your worth is caught up in what you do. And it's not. You should have a relationship with the Lord to where your relationship with him is what gives you pleasure and it what gives you security and identity. You know, right now, I know some of you are going to disagree with this, but if our ministry failed, if I had to go back to pouring concrete for a living, which I did, you know, before I got in ministry and stuff, I know that God loves me. He carries my picture and his wallet, and I could have a wonderful relationship with God without this ministry. My identity is not in this ministry. This is not who I am. This is just a vehicle that God has given me to use, but it... And some of you think, oh yeah, sure, it's easy to say. Well, I've been in a board meeting. David Artis, was in a board meeting when my board told me, you're bankrupt. Close the doors. We're shutting this thing down. And you know what? I had to consider. My board was going to shut our ministry down because we, we couldn't make it. And you know what happened when I thought about it? I got excited. I thought this would be awesome my relationship with God would go through the roof if I didn't have all of the things of the ministry to deal with. My relationship with my family, would be, I got really excited thinking about, man, wouldn't this be awesome to be Joe Blow Christian just in love with Jesus? Have no responsibility. So you can say what you want to, but I've proven it in my heart that my identity is not in this ministry and what I do, It's I'm a human being, not a human doing. And so you need to find your identity and be secure in the Lord. And if you go out there and fail, did you know, I believe God would be pleased with you as long as you did it in faith. I'm believing God for some things and they will come to pass. But you know, if for some reason it didn't happen, if I didn't get this building built, I've committed to not doing it debt uh, with debt. And if... The Lord doesn't come through with a miracle. I can't come up with $47 million in my next three lifetimes. So there is a potential that it couldn't happen. And if it didn't happen, you know what? I believe God would be pleased with me because at least I went for it. At least I stood and believed God. And I believe God would look at me and say, Andrew, you failed. And he'd tell me where I missed it. But he said, I'm proud of you because you tried. I think that's the way that God looks at things. And there are some of you that are just afraid to do anything because you might fail and because of it, you're failing because you aren't doing anything. You're playing it too safe. Look over here in 2 Kings chapter 7. Here's a good example of what I'm talking about. There is a... um, siege of the of Samaria there was uh, the Syrians had them surrounded and the siege had gotten so bad that people were actually selling animal dung for expensive prices they were dying and they were buying animal dung for these exorbitant prices and actually there's an example right here of two women who killed one of their babies and ate it. And then the next day, they were going to kill the other baby and eat it. That's how severe this famine was. And the Syrians were just starving the life out of them. And in this situation, it says here in 2 Kings chapter 7 in verse 3, there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? Man, that has got to be one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. They were lepers. They were outside of the city. In the city, people were eating their own children. They were eating animal dung. Think how bad it must have been outside of the city for the outcast. These people were in dire straits. And these four lepers were talking and they said, how long are we going to sit here till we die? And if we say we will uh, enter into the city, then the famine is in the city and we shall die. And if we sit here still, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us uh, fall under the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. I love that. Most people would say, we shall but die. Well, that is just such an extreme, terrible thing that no, I'll not consider any of those options. They wouldn't take a chance. But if they sat there, they were gonna die. If they went into the city, they were gonna die. If you really looked at it from a non-emotional thing, and if you just looked at it from a logical standpoint, this was the smartest thing to do. It was the only chance of survival that they had was to go out and take a risk. Go discover yourself to the enemy. And they didn't have any weapons. They didn't have any swords. But go out there and run the risk of them putting you to death. You were going to die anyway. It was only a matter of a few days, a week. You might have been able to survive. But they did the logical thing and went out and took a risk. And when they got out there, the Lord had caused the Syrians to hear this sound of an army. And they thought that the Israelites had hired the Egyptians against them and these people panicked and they just fled. They left all of their tents there. They had actually food still cooking on the fire. They left their gold, their silver, their raiment, everything. They left their animals still tied up. The people just ran in panic. And when these lepers got to the Syrian camp, nobody was there. And they went in and they found food and they began to eat. They found gold. They found silver. They became From poverty and starvation to where they were the richest people around, they had so much plenty they couldn't handle it. And finally they said, this isn't good what we're doing, we need to go back and tell the people in Samaria what has happened. And they went back and they became the heroes. The lepers who had been the outcast and ridiculed by people became the heroes because they took a chance... And went out and faced the possibility that, you know, it might cost them their life if they went out. But man, what a great example of what I'm trying to talk about. Many of you are limiting God because God has put some big things in your heart, but there's risk involved with it. And you're afraid to get out of the boat. If you turn over to the 14th chapter of the book of Matthew, it's the same principle. Jesus came walking on the water and Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of that boat and walked on the water. Did you know that every one of those disciples could have gotten out of the boat and walked on the water? But you know what? They were afraid to get out of the boat. But if you really read that in Matthew 14, it says, now the boat was full of water. What good is a boat if it's full of water? The boat was going down. That's the reason they were crying out and asking God for help is because they were in the process of dying. They had a boat, but it was full of water. It was about to sink. And yet they were afraid to leave the security of a sinking boat. People are afraid to do something abnormal. How weird is it to quit your job and move and leave your family and friends and go to Bible college or go do what God told you to do or it's risky and I people are afraid to do something that's outside of the norm. You want to be like everybody else. And yet look at everybody else. They're sick. They're poor. They're miserable. They're depressed. They're on uppers and downers and they're just, their life is miserable and yet we have such a draw to be like them and not get outside of the norm. I'm telling you, this world is dying. All of the people that you want to be like them, if you could see behind the scenes, they're miserable. They don't have joy and peace. You know, when I started in ministry, one of the things that I did, nobody else would listen to me. So I started going to nursing homes and they will let anybody preach in a nursing home and in prisons. And I went to nursing home and prisons every week and it was really good for me. I remember some of these people. I remember this one lady who she was so proper, you could tell that she was very, very well to do. When she was younger, she always was picture perfect. Every hair was in place. She wore expensive clothes. And she was a very proper lady. And I'd go see her and yet she'd spend a whole time I was there just crying. And talking about I used to be somebody important. People used to come and seek me out. I had friends and she says it's been months since anybody comes to see me. And this woman was just sitting there waiting on death struggling and man I remember looking at that and thinking God I don't want my life to be this way and you know what you may not you may be uncomfortable to talk about it but every one of you are headed to old age and again I don't believe you have to be decrepit and sick but you know what you are going to get old and is your life going to be about just working a job and then when they retire you are you going to have no purpose is your life over Are you just going to sit there and wait on death? Man, I don't want that. I don't think you want that. But that's where a lot of you are headed because you are afraid to step out of the boat. You're afraid to follow what God is telling you. You're taking the easy way out. You got your retirement. You got your pension plan. I've had people come to me before and say, God told me to come to your school, but I've still got five years before i can retire and if i was to leave right now then i'd lose some of my pension and i said god can give you a lot more than your pension god knew that you still had five years to go and he called you now he told you now i said why do you limit god by all of these kind of things But see, we've got, well, I might not have this. You're counting on your social security. Man, if you can't believe God for something more than social security, I'm not sure God needs you. I opted out of social security when I was 20 years old and I hadn't got a penny coming. And you know what? God's taking care of me. Everything we own is paid for. You do not have to limit yourself back to your pension plan. And some of you, but all of my money's in the stock market and look what's happened in the stock market. Man, God's bigger than that. Amen. See, we have these fears. We're afraid to get out of the boat, but the boat's sinking. If you would look at it logically, what's the difference in being out on the water and in the boat? The boat was full of water. They were, they were drenched too. There's no difference. You can actually get to where it's exciting. It's exciting to be out there saying, God, if you don't come through, I'm going to make a huge splat. It's exciting. You know, I've actually, the scripture talks about that you can become addicted to the ministry of the saints. And I've actually reached a place that when everything is going normal and everything's going good, And I hadn't got any challenges and God hadn't asked me to do something that's bigger than me. It's boring. You know what I like is when, man, you're holding on for dear life saying, oh, Jesus. It's exciting. It's a great way to live. You know, I'm a pretty bland person. And uh, people think I don't ever do anything, but you know, I... Everybody's got to have some outlet. I go uh, four-wheeling over these mountain passes where it's a thousand foot drop right straight down and your wheel is part way over the thing and your own shale and it's scooting and stuff like this. I just think that's awesome. <laughs> I drove across a gorge. It was 100 or 200 feet deep and you had to make a right end turn and there's only two steel beams across the gorge. No planks across it. And I drove my pickup across there. It's exciting. Jamie was kind of screaming a little bit. And she has refused to ever let me go over the devil's punch bowl again. That's what the name of that was. but, But you know what? I like that. To me, it's exciting. It's exciting serving God. Man, if your life doesn't have a little bit of excitement in it, Just run up a white flag and say, God, I'll go anywhere, do anything, whatever you want, and then follow through on it. And I guarantee you, God will make your life exciting. But I might fail. You might. But God's not going to fall off his throne. Scripture says that a righteous man will get up seven times. You don't have to be afraid of stuff. God will make you look good. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles sixteen nine that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking to show himself strong in behalf of those who are perfect in his sight. Perfect doesn't mean that you're sinless. It's talking about people that are committed to God. And God, I'll do anything. I'll say whatever. I'll go wherever. You just tell me what to do and I'll follow you to the best of my ability. God is looking throughout the whole earth. Did you know that the eyes of the Lord are in this room tonight? Going from way over here at this corner, going through this place and he's examining your hearts right now. And he says, is there anybody who would be willing to risk it all to just give it up to follow me? He's looking. Your response ought to be, God, look no further. Here I am. Dwight L. Moody went to a service in Chicago and heard a man preach. And the man made this statement. He says, The world has never seen what God could do through one person who is totally committed to Him. And Dwight L. Moody stood up and said, I'll be that man. And you know what? He only had a third grade education. Dwight L. Moody could barely read When he would preach, he would read a passage of scripture up to a word that he didn't know what it was, and he'd stop and preach on it. And then he'd start on the other side of that word so that people (laughs) wouldn't know that he couldn't read. This man, he was rejected from three churches. He tried to join three churches, and they didn't consider him to be a good enough Christian to be a member of the church. And they rejected him from being a member. And yet this man preached to crowds of 150,000 before they had microphones. He preached to kings. He impacted every continent on the face of the earth and was the Billy Graham of his day and saw miracle after miracle and awesome things happen because he decided that I'm going to be that man. I'm going to go for it. And God used him. There are people right here in this room that you have desires in your heart, visions, things that if you didn't have any restrictions, you would do something different. But fear is making you limit yourself and limit what God can do because you're afraid that, you know, you might not prosper as much as you are now. You're afraid that people might criticize you, that something might happen. I tell you what, that's a terrible thing. I believe that when it's my turn to go, I'm not going to have a single vision or thing that God has told me to do that I'm not in the process of doing. I forget if it was Mario Morello or... Anyway, it's one of these uh, Christian motivational speaker type guys that says that if you want to go to a place on the earth that has the most potential, go to a graveyard. Because the vast majority of people take their full potential to the grave. They didn't ever realize it. I'm believing that when it comes my turn to go, that I'm gonna have gotten rid of everything on the inside of me that God has put on the inside of me. I can truthfully tell you right now, I am in the process, I hadn't accomplished it, but I'm in the process of doing everything that God has put in my heart. And I know that as I continue to grow, He'll give me more things. I'm not I hadn't arrived, but I've left. I'm moving in that direction. And I can truthfully say there is not a single thing that God has put in my heart that I'm not in the process of trying to do. And yet there are hundreds of people in this room that you've got dreams and goals that you have just set aside and you have let life limit you. And you have limited God and you're setting them aside because after all, you've got to be practical, I tell you, you're playing it way too safe. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal. You need to go for it. You need to take the limits off of God and you need to get out of the, the miserable situation that you're in. And again, I know that I praise God for you. I know it's a Friday night and here, it's not Sunday morning. This isn't the nod to God crowd. You're the fanatics. Are you a drug gear by a fanatic? I'm not trying to criticize you, but you know what? I can guarantee you, I've, given, I've taught on this before and I've given invitations and asked how many people know that you aren't reaching your potential and that you aren't doing what God's really put in your heart. And I've given invitations and had 80 to 90% of the crowd like this stand up and admit that they don't know for sure that they're doing what God called them to do. How can you live like that? You know, it has been 44 years since I have done my own thing. For 44 years, I've been following the leadership of God to the best of my ability. I hadn't done it perfectly, but I've been seeking to follow God, and it has been awesome. I have seen wonderful things happen. I just can't even relate to people who are living their life and just letting circumstances dictate. You go out and just get a job because you've got to make a living and you don't have a purpose. You don't know that God put you there. You aren't doing what God's equipped you for. You aren't reaching your full potential. i tell you what, that's not life. That's not living. You're just surviving. There's something more than that. God wants you to be practical. You need to take care of yourself and your family. But in the process, start dreaming. Start believing God for these dreams in your heart to come to pass. Start saying, Father, show me. Show me how I can make my life count. I want it to be that when I die, somebody misses me and says things were better because Andrew was around instead of saying, well, praise God, he's gone. <laughs> Won't have to listen to his gripe and complaining anymore. Man, your life ought to be touching people. It ought to be making something count. And yet many of us are just living a normal, quote unquote normal, which is super substandard life because we're afraid of taking the risk. We're afraid that you might fail. God, I can guarantee you this, God will call you to do something that's beyond yourself. He called me to minister to people and I was an introvert and couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to them. And now I talk to millions of people. God's asking me to do things that I can't do and you know what? It makes me depend upon Him. I can promise you, if you're just doing what you can do, you've missed God. God is calling you for something special and there is going to be risk involved and many of you are just afraid to take a risk. The perfect love of God will cast out fear. If you really knew the plans that God has for you and what He wants to do with your life, I can promise you it would be greater than what you're doing. It would be more fulfilling. You would be more satisfied. There is a satisfaction and contentment that comes when you know that you're doing what God called you to do, that you'll never have that satisfaction when you're doing your thing and just doing what opportunity presents. You need to get rid of this fear of failing and recognize that if you aren't stretching yourself and seeking after God's will for your life with everything you've got, you are failing. That's failure. And somebody's thinking, well, you're a preacher, you're a fanatic, you're a full-time person. That's okay for you, but the rest of us, we've got to make a living. You know, the scripture says in Romans chapter 12, verse one, he says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God, this is by the goodness of God, not condemnation. God's not trying to make you feel bad, but by the mercies of God that you present your body, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. One translation says your normal Christian duty. This isn't just for the full-time preachers. For the ministers. This is for every Joe Blow and Jane Doe Christian. Every one of us, it's our normal Christian duty. Jesus died for you. We should live for him. You ought to commit yourself, and there ought to be no question. If the Lord asks you for something, it's yours. God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Whatever you want me to do. If you haven't reached that place, you know what? You're limiting God. And many times it's just because you're afraid of what's He going to ask me to do? What's it going to cost me? I guarantee you. He'll, God will never let you out give Him. If you give up something for Him, God will bless you multiple times over. You know, I'm a giver and I'm around a lot of givers. I was out to eat with uh, Pastor Tom yesterday and we ate breakfast and we nearly fought over the ticket. He won. (laughs) He beat me. But you get around people who are givers and I've actually before grabbed the bill and the other guy drugged me away from the table and across the room holding on to this ticket. And it turned out it wasn't even the ticket. It was the dessert menu, but we (laughs) thought it was a ticket. But you get around a person who's got a revelation of giving and I guarantee you, you have to fight them. I've seen people before try and pay for the gas and the other person put their card up there and he grabbed his card and threw it out in the street. (laughs) When you find a person who's really understood how blessed it is to give, they will fight you for the opportunity to buy something and to give. And God is the biggest giver that ever existed that's where all of this came from and when God sees you give up and yield something and you go someplace you do something you put yourself at risk to follow him I guarantee you God is never gonna let you out give him God will always wind up blessing you more than you ever bless him I can just guarantee you that if you give it will be given back unto you there is nothing to fear And any person in here who's struggling and you just seem like you barely are getting by and you can't make it, you haven't yielded yourself and given and really turned your life over to God, or I can guarantee you, God will just show off in the way he blesses you. I know that there's hundreds of you in here that can raise your hand and say, amen, brother, I've experienced it. God is good. And so I'm encouraging you tonight to get rid of this fear. How do you get rid of it? Perfect love, cast out fear. You need to recognize God made you for a purpose. He designed you for a purpose. You know, the Lord spoke to me in January of 1973, because it was just a few months after Jamie and I got married. We were living in a one-bedroom apartment in uh, Mesquite, Texas. And the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night, had me go in. And I mean, God came into that room. And the Lord spoke to me out of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you came forth out of your mother's belly, I sanctified you and I ordained you to be a prophet unto the nations. And then Jeremiah said, oh, Lord God, I'm a child. I cannot speak. And God said, don't you ever say... I'm a child, don't you ever say this, you will go, you will speak. And he says, if you get afraid of them, I'll confound you in front of them. And did you know since that night, I've never told people that I couldn't speak. I didn't instantly get rid of the fear, but I started doing it. And anyway, God spoke to me and the point I was trying to get across was before he formed me in the womb, before I came forth out of my mother's belly, God had a purpose for me. Paul said the same thing in Galatians 1.15, God who separated me under the gospel from my mother's womb. Isaiah said the same thing. This isn't abnormal. It's not, you didn't just happen. You were created by God and in Psalms 139 when you were still in your mother's womb, it said he knew all of your parts and they were written in his book. God knew everything about you. He created you and designed you for a specific purpose. It's not up to you to just live your life and then you discover that you've got an artistic talent, you've got an administrative talent, you're a people person or whatever, and so you look at your options and you just pick and choose and do what you want to do. God made you for a purpose. And it's up to you to find out what that purpose is. And you cannot fulfill it accidentally. It doesn't just happen by fate. You have to pursue the will of God in order to get it. And it takes revelation. And like I said earlier, God will show you that he's made you for something that you'll think, No, not me. I can't do it. That's because he'll call you to do something beyond yourself so that it'll make you God-dependent. And if you're just looking at your little personality profile test that you took and find out what you're suited for, you're going to miss God. Because there are things on the inside of you that God wants to accomplish. Like me, I couldn't speak in front of people. I couldn't even look at a person and talk to them. And God's calling me to do the exact thing I couldn't do. Called a hick from Texas. That I've had people write in before and say, I thought you were Gomer Powell. (laughs) I've had people make fun of my voice and things. I had one person write in and say, you are as plain as dirt. And I understood exactly what he's talking about. If I was God, I wouldn't have picked me. I'm not your typical minister. I'm not a charismatic figure. And yet God chose me. And just by responding to him, God has blessed me. He's using my life. There are people that are alive today that would be dead. If I wasn't doing what God told me to do, there are people that are beginning to understand the goodness of God, and their lives are being changed. There are miracles happening, and I'm telling you, every one of you were designed by God just as surely as I was, and you got to find out what that is. The only chance you have of reaching your full potential is to do what God created you to do. And like I said earlier, is either last night or this morning, if you're one of these multi-talented persons that you can do a lot of things on your own, I pity you. Because you're more susceptible to leaning under your own understanding and doing your own thing. It's really a blessing not to have great talents and ability and just say, God, what can you use me for? It makes you God-dependent. But there are some of you that are just doing your own thing and you're able to make a living. Some of you might be living very well. You may have trophies and awards sitting on your shelf and yet you've never found what God created you for. And because of maybe you even succeeded by your own strength and power. There are lost people who do that. But I can guarantee you, you won't be fulfilled in your heart. You won't have the same joy as the person who knows they're doing what God called them to do. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you were made with a purpose. God's got more for you than what the vast majority of us are experiencing. And you've got to get rid of this fear of failure. How long are you going to sit there until you die? It's a definition of insanity to pray for your life to be different and then keep doing the same thing. You do the same thing, you're going to get the same results. Do something different. Even if it's wrong, do something different. It'd be better to run the risk and try something than to try nothing because you're afraid and just stay stuck. Do something different. If nothing else, you'll learn. You'll learn. That wasn't it. (laughs) Amen. You can check one thing off your list. Don't be afraid. You know, the biggest failure are the people that are playing it so conservative that they can't risk anything. You're a failure. I say that in love. I'm trying to provoke you in love. But brothers and sisters, we got to go for it. The world is looking for somebody. The world is looking for God. They're looking in all the wrong places. And one of the reasons is because the people who are born again aren't living in the fullness of what God called them to be. Your life ought to be a testimony. If you would catch on fire for God, the world will come watch you burn. People are mesmerized by fire. They'll follow a fire truck. They want to see what's going on. You catch on fire for God, people will come. People will want to see what's happening. People at your work, your family will say, what has happened to you? But we have such a fear of being different. We don't want to get outside of the box, outside of the boat. And so we're just drowning with the rest of them. Man, I'm praying that God is taking the things that I'm saying and helping you to overcome these things that are limiting God. I know that some of you feel uncomfortable. Say this, man, you're, you're rocking my boat. You're making me think I've lived 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and I'm missing God? You don't like the implications of that. You don't want to even think about what that might mean. And so you're just going to continue to follow lockstep with the rest of the world so that you don't have to confront this. I guarantee you it's better to confront it now than wait until you die and go to be with the Lord. And he says, why didn't you do what I told you? Well, God, I made a lot of money. I was super successful I was the head of the PTA. I was on the city council. I did this, but that's not what I called you to do. Why didn't you do what I called you to do? All of your trophies and achievements aren't going to seem like very much when God says, I created you for this, and you never did it. You never believed me. And I can promise you, God has spoken to all of us. You may have resisted it, and through fear of failure and laziness, fear of, of um, change and other things, you may not have really embraced it, but when, the Lord, when you stand before the Lord and He says, here's what I created you to do, every one of you are going to say, I knew that in my heart. Man, that's, that's a dream that I had. I knew that there was something more. God has already spoken to us. We just deny it. We turn it down. And I'm encouraging you to take the limits off God. With me, I had a fear of failure. Because like I was giving you this history, I was finally to a place where we were succeeding. Finances were coming in and we weren't worried about where we going to survive. It was working. People's lives were being changed. And I could have stayed there and God would have loved me. But I would have stood before the Lord someday, and He says, I called you for a lot more than what you did, and you limited me. And I was fearful because, you know what? When we started expanding and getting aggressive again, here I was living on the edge. If God didn't come through, if this wasn't God, we were in big trouble. When we left that 14,000-square-foot building and moved into 110,000-square-foot did you know that the utilities on that 110,000 square foot building were like six or $7,000 a month? They told me it was gonna be 19,000 a month. I don't think it's ever been that much, but I mean, our whole payments on that first building were 2,000 something dollars a month. The utilities were gonna be five, 10 times as much as what my whole payment on that other building was. You know what, that was a little scary. but man, we look at it and it has more than paid for itself. Our income has increased so that proportionally we have like four or five times as much extra as we had back when we were doing things on a smaller scale because I'm where God told me to be and the blessings are so much greater that man, it's much more beneficial to do what we're doing. It'll be the same for you. I can promise you, God wants to prosper you. God wants to do something special in your life. I don't know how to get it across any stronger than what I'm saying. Some of you are just sitting there until you die. You're already dead emotionally. One of the reasons you're struggling in your marriage and in other things is because you aren't flowing with what God's got for you. And it's a struggle and you're disappointed and discouraged by it i tell you, there is no place like being in the center of God's will. When September the 11th happened, one of my biggest partners called me two days after and his daughter was a medical person and she was going to Afghanistan on a medical mission. And he called and had his daughter on the extension phone and he said, tell her to cancel her trip. Man, we are maybe going to war. You tell her not to go. So I got her on the phone and I talked to her and I said, you feel this is what God wants you to do? And she says, I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is what God has told me to do. And so here's our biggest partner on the phone. And I said, you know what? She needs to go. He says, how could you say that? She's putting her. I said, man, being in the center of God's will is the safest place on the face of the earth. And she wound up going to Afghanistan two days after the 9-11 attacks. Did just fine. God blessed her. In contrast to that, one of our first uh, students that we had, her husband wouldn't let her go on our missions trip because he was afraid of her flying. And so he made her stay home. And she stayed home against her wishes to submit to her husband. And while we were gone, she was driving home and a boy fell asleep driving and came across and hit her and she died in a car wreck she would have been much safer doing what God called her to do. Whatever your reasons for not doing the will of God are, they aren't good. Being in the center of God's will is the safest place, the happiest place, the most beneficial place. Whatever your reason is for not doing it, you're wrong. Just do it. Man, if God Almighty who has a universe to run and millions and millions of people talking to him and praying and asking for this. If he takes time out to speak to you and put something in your heart for you to debate whether or not you will do it, it's just beyond my comprehension. If I know that God wants me to do something, I'm going to do it or I'm going to die trying. I am not going to live anywhere else but where I believe God wants me to be. And I would recommend it to you. If you feel that God has put something in your heart, do it. Maybe you aren't ready to do it all right now, but start moving in that direction. If you aren't completely sure of what God told you, then put some motion to your boat. You know, a rudder will turn a boat if it's moving. Doesn't have to be full steam ahead, but if it's moving, a rudder will give direction and move that boat, but if you're sitting still, you can flip a rudder 360 degrees and it won't give any direction. You gotta move in some direction. Do something. Say, God, I'm not absolutely sure, but I think that this is it, so I'm gonna move in this direction and until I'm sure, I'm just gonna go test the waters and see how it works. Start moving and God will give you direction and say, nope, that's not it. Or yes, this is it. Things will start working. But you've got to start moving in some direction. Commit yourself to doing something. If nothing else, commit yourself to, I'm going to find out what God's will for my life is. I've got a, what are we to be, a 15-tape series on how to find, how to follow, and how to fulfill God's will. You ought to get those things and start finding out. You aren't going to fulfill it accidentally. You're going to have to do it on purpose. Amen. So I need to quit tonight, but I've got a lot more to share. There's other fears. Fear of persecution, fear of men, what they've got to say. You know, my biggest fear, and I'll deal with this tomorrow, was success. I was afraid of success. I was afraid of God using me, what he would do to me. Some of you don't relate to that, but I'll explain it in a way. I think most people deal with stuff like this. So anyway, I just encourage you, whatever your fear is that is limiting God, you need to take the limits off God. You overcome that fear by the perfect love of God, perfect love will cast out fear. And I can promise you, God has nothing but good plans for you. He wants to do awesome things in your life, make your life better than it's ever been. Amen? So if you feel that God has spoken something to you tonight and you say, I need to find God's will for my life. Or maybe you know God's will and for whatever reason you haven't been doing it. You're letting fear paralyze you. If that's you and you say, I need to repent and I need to do what God's put in my heart. Or I need to find out God's will for my life and this has stirred me up tonight. And I want to make a commitment that I'm not going to rest until I find out what God wants me to do or until I start doing it. If that's you, I just want you to be bold enough right now where you are to stand. And let me pray with you. And we're going to make a commitment and start moving in that direction. So did you understand what I'm saying? This is not for people who already know God's will and are following it with everything you've got and trying. I'm not saying you're perfect, but you are moving. You're trying to do it. This is for people who either don't know God's will or God has revealed something to you and you've let fear keep you from doing it. You know, if you've understood my invitation tonight, and if you've responded accordingly to what I've said, this is the vast majority of this crowd. We've got over a thousand people here, and I bet you there's 600 people standing. This answers a lot of questions. Man, this answers huge amounts of questions. Right here, you don't have to go any further than this subject to find out why you aren't fulfilled. Why sometimes you're discouraged? Why things aren't working better? You've got to find God's will and you've got to be actively pursuing it to have the real joy and the peace of the Lord, the satisfaction. There is a holy dissatisfaction that God places on the inside of us when we're off track. Not a condemnation or a guilt, but just a knowledge that there's something more. He's trying to convince you that this isn't the way I want you to go. It's a holy, godly type of dissatisfaction. And you can't pray it away. You just got to find out what God calls you to do and start doing it. And I believe that tonight, this is going to make a difference in your life. I remember being in a service where I responded to an invitation similar to what I said right here. And I spent all night long walking eight hours in the bayous of Louisiana praying and saying, God, I will find your will for my life. I will do what you called me to do. and you know what God honored it, and changed my life and I believe it's going to be the same for you. I believe this is going to be a life-changing experience for you tonight. Amen? y'all agree? Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and we thank you that just as surely as you created Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Paul, that you separated them for a purpose from their mother's womb. We believe that every one of us were created by you and fashioned for a specific purpose, that every gift, every talent, every experience is all focused to accomplish something that you created us for. And Father, we're standing tonight to either say that we don't know what that purpose is, we want to know, and we are making ourselves available as a living sacrifice, and saying, Father, just reveal yourself to us and we will follow that direction. Or if we already know it, we haven't been following it. We've let other things focus our attention elsewhere. We haven't been following you. We've let fear hinder us. And Father, we are repenting of it. But tonight, all of us are just making a commitment to find and follow your will, to remove the restrictions, to take away whatever it is. We draw on your power. Father, we make the commitment, but we need your power to fulfill it. We need your Holy Spirit to reveal yourself to us and we stand tonight welcoming you, asking you to reveal yourself to us that every single one of us will make our life count. Regardless of what has happened in the past, we forget those things that are behind and we look forward to the future. And we want to know your plan. Father, I believe you are much greater than a GPS device that can say recalculating and put us back on track. I believe that regardless how we've messed our lives up, that you can recalculate and plot a course from where we are right to where you want us to be. And so we make that commitment and believe you're going to keep that which we've committed and that, Father, you're revealing yourself to every one of us that's standing and showing us your purposes for our life and that we will fulfill it, that we won't limit you anymore. We'll go out and do things that are beyond ourself where we have to have your supernatural power. We make that commitment and I thank you that you're going to hold us to it that this is beginning something powerful in our lives, that, Father, we won't be the same, that this will be a life-changing experience here tonight. And we agree and we receive that and thank you for doing it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.